Let me invite you, if you have a Bible uh, that you brought with you, turn to Matthew's Gospel, the 28th chapter. If you don't, there are Bibles in the pew in front of you, or you, you can use your phone if, um, if you like. But we'll be working our way through that last chapter together this morning. If you are a, a sports fan of any kind, whether that's hockey or football or basketball or curling or whatever you're into, you can probably relate to, you know, a big game weekend and maybe you've been too busy or it's late at night and you, you go to bed and you're not sure what the score was when you went to sleep, right? And so you wake up the next morning and you go to the, the internet or you look at the newspaper or you ask a friend at the office, right? Who won? What happened? And depending on the answer, either the world is right, right? You're excited. The, the week starts off in a, in a different kind of way. Or else your, your spirit falls a little bit, right? And everything sort of seems off kilter. And that's just for a simple sporting event. As we come to Matthew's gospel this morning, Matthew is going to ask us, who won? And he's not just talking about a sporting event. He's talking about a contest for the ages. More than any of the other gospel writers, Matthew depicts what happens in Holy Week, like a a battle between two sides or two teams. On the one side, we have the, the up-and-coming movement of Jesus, right? proclaiming a new kingdom and a new king and a new way to live into the, the fulfillment of God's promises. And on the other side, we have the establishment who are questioning Jesus' very existence and, and his authority. They want to know who made this man. And as we read, we started in Matthew 21 last Sunday with Palm Sunday. As you, as you read through the, the remainder of Matthew's gospel, you see this contest play out. And at the beginning of that week, the odds look pretty good for Team Jesus. Right? Jesus comes into the city. He's got the home crowd on his side, chanting for him. Jesus has a a record of miracles, and there's, there's momentum coming into this week. Jesus has done incredible things no one has ever seen before. On Monday and, and Tuesday of that week, Jesus goes into the city after he has cleansed the temple, and, and he's there in the temple courts. He's ministering. He's healing. He's proclaiming God's teaching in, in a new and powerful way that Jerusalem had never seen. And so by, by halftime in Holy Week, It seems like Jesus is poised for victory. But when we get into the the second half of that week, it's like the establishment team comes out of the locker room ready for blood. Right? With this killer instinct. And their new game plan is is first they go out and they recruit Judas like a, a free agent. He comes over to their team. And that gives them access to Jesus' playbook. They know where he's going to be, what he's going to be doing for the rest of the week. They strike a deal with the Romans to, to give them a deeper bench, right? To give them added force and power to carry out their will. 
And somehow, late in the week, they even managed to turn the crowds against Jesus. And at every move, it kind of seems like Jesus could, could go on the offensive. Jesus could strike back. Jesus could do something to change the balance of this contest. But on every one of those occasions, Jesus almost seems like he's handing victory to the other team. And so in the final moments of Holy Week, Friday, just before the Sabbath, right, they hand Jesus over to be arrested. He's put to death, and not just any death, but death by crucifixion. Right? Shameful death. And with that, the contest is over. If you look in Matthew 27... Matthew even gives us kind of like a, a post-game conference. We get, on Saturday, the, the chief priests and the leaders of the city, they gather together, and they're so proud of their victory and so proud of their new trophy that they hire a security team to guard it. And the trophy they've secured is the body of Jesus. It's testament to the power they hold. They hold his crucified body. And the security team they hire is a division of Pilate's own soldiers who were placed in front of the tomb where his body lay. Right? And there, there's no doubt who is in charge as we go into that weekend. For anyone in Israel who didn't travel to Jerusalem for Passover, right? if, they, if they heard news from their neighbors or family members coming back from that feast and celebration... They might have asked them, what happened? Who won? What happened to that, that messianic pretender, Jesus? What, was he the real deal? Did he win or is it still the usual suspects in Jerusalem? And the report would have been pretty clear. The religious leaders woke up on Sunday morning, convinced that they had won. Convinced that they had control. Convinced that the kingdom of this world belonged to them. And most of Jesus' disciples woke up on that morning convinced of the same thing. They woke up assuming that King Jesus and whatever hopes, whatever power he once represented, just couldn't win out in the real world. Right? They had been handed a, a gutting defeat. But as we open to Matthew 28 together this morning, Matthew tells us that there were just a few holdouts left. A few people on Jesus' side that weren't ready to walk away yet. So early on Sunday morning, they woke up and they went out to see his tomb. Let me pray for us as we open up the word of God together. Lord Jesus, would you fill us with your life and with your spirit? Would you fill me with, with your power and your truth as I preach this morning? May the words of my mouth, may the movements and meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. May we live because you live. Amen. 
This is Matthew 28. It says, after the Sabbath day, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, we don't know which Mary that is, went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone and he sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook, and they became as dead men. Matthew says, on that Sunday morning, it was Mary and Mary. It's two women left to to wake up on their own in the pre-dawn darkness to march into a garden that they knew was full of hostile Roman soldiers. Two women who had been eyewitnesses, who had had been there at the foot of the cross, witnessed the trauma of Jesus' death and defeat. But even now, they won't switch teams. They need to see Jesus. Verse 1 tells us this happened at dawn on the first day of a new week. Wonder why Matthew records it in that way. If you think back to the beginning of the story of our God, Genesis 1, chapter 1, we're told that the God we worshiped showed up. On the first day of a creation week, in the pre-dawn darkness. And God chose to speak and to breathe new life at that moment in time. To create a world that was full of his life and presence. Full of his goodness. And the day after day, the Lord filled up that creation with his goodness and life. God made a new kingdom in Genesis 1. Is it possible that these two Marys are about to step into a new creation week? Is this Matthew's way of of tipping us off that a, a surprise overtime period is about to start in this contest? It sure sounds like that because in verse 2, the moment they are arriving at the tomb, Matthew says a a mega shaking, a mega quake took place. It's the the Greek word for, for seismic activity. And it seems that in Matthew's gospel, these These shakings are a sign of the presence and power of God's kingdom on the move. Because back in Matthew 21, last week, when Jesus rode into the city and the crowds were stirred up at the arrival of this king, Matthew says literally the city was shaking, was quaking with the question, who is this? Could this be our king? Matthew tells us again, during the the moments of Jesus' passion, as he gave up his spirit on the cross... 
and gave away his life for his people. That all Jerusalem shook again. That the rocks of the city were, were torn apart. That the veil in the temple courtyard was, was torn. And that even the graves were, were torn open and, and dead. The dead were, were raised and, and walked about the city on Friday. Well, here it says for a third time. The power of God's kingdom shakes Jerusalem. And what happens is that an angel comes and he forces the stone away from Jesus' tomb. And at the same moment it says that that power that shakes the tomb loose also shakes this Roman guard to the ground. The, The word appears there again. They are, like an earthquake, they are knocked over and stunned, paralyzed. Matthew says, at dawn on the first day of a new week, the momentum, the power in this contest is shifting another way. And incredibly, after the the city is shaken, the only two people, Matthew tells us, that are left standing at that moment are these two women. Right? The mighty Roman guard is on the ground, but not these two Marys. They are on their feet, but they are also terrified. Matthew's gospel continues. It says, The angel said to the women in that moment, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. And in any other contest, that would be a sure sign of defeat. But the angel says, Jesus is not here. He has risen Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Now I have told you. And so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell Jesus' disciples. The angel speaks and he wants these women to know that the score in this contest has changed decisively. He wants them to know that the powers of this world with with all of their coordinated resistance to Jesus have been stunned. They are silenced. They are powerless at their feet. And he wants these two women to know that the humble king who rode into the city, the king who welcomed the poor and the brokenhearted into his kingdom, the king who called sinners to be saints, the king who who fulfilled righteousness instead of trampling upon it, that king has been raised to new life. When the angel comes and he shakes Jerusalem, wants us to know that Jesus' resurrection changes reality. It changes what is possible. It changes what is true. It changes what we can hope for. It changes everything. 
But an incredible change like that takes, takes time to get used to. And so I love verse 8 here, which says that as, as the women ran from the tomb and, and were responding to this message, they were terrified and yet full of joy at the same time. Have you ever experienced those two emotions simultaneously? I think it's, it's a picture of what hearing the gospel of Jesus, the witness of this gospel in its, in its depth, in its actual claim, what it's meant to do to us. Because if what Matthew says is true, tells us that, that our God has a terrifyingly great power to undo deceit, to overcome death, to overturn the things that we might destroy or control or break down. It's terrifying because we're told that the power of our God renders every other power in this world ultimately insignificant. But God uses that incredible power to make space for great joy. God uses his awe-inspiring power to make everything in creation new from this moment forward. If Jesus lives, reality itself is different. And so the women are taking this in and they start to run through the streets and the alleys of Jerusalem to go find the others. Full of fear, but also full of joy and wonder. Matthew says, as they're running, they turn a corner, and suddenly there is Jesus before them. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him, and they clasped his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me also. If you were Jesus and, and you had just overcome the powers of hell, you just thwarted the, the enemies who, who colluded against you, you just defeated death itself, what would your first words back from the grave be? Jesus' words here are, Charete in Greek, which is what another person in Athens would say to, to a friend on the street today. It's just, hello, it's good to see you. Hi. Jesus is almost stunning in, in his calm and collected confidence at that moment. But also his approachability. Jesus is, is the one God has raised up to be king over all creation, but he says, hello, it's good to see you. Jesus is, is fully human in that resurrected state, too. And the women come, come close and they want to touch Jesus' reality. They, they hold on to his feet. They worship him in his resurrected state. 
But quickly, Jesus sends them out. He says, go get the team back together. Go tell the others to go to Galilee where they will see me also. Jesus wants the the joy-inducing, fear-inspiring, reality-changing news of his victory to travel. The world needs to know who won. And so the women begin, begin to go. And Matthew tells us that as the women were on their way, he fills us in what's happening with the other side of this contest. It says, while the women were on their way, some of the guards then went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders, they devised a plan and gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and we will keep you out of trouble. I think it's worth pausing and thinking about these words for a moment because that means that even some of those who were eyewitnesses on Easter morning, those who stood just feet away from the empty tomb, who saw this incredible power shaking the earth, they choose to interpret that in a different way. They choose to, to double down on their wager that the power of Pilate is greater and the power that has rolled away this stone. I think that probably suggests that all of us will will have to struggle with the reality of what Easter morning represents. All of us have have to wrestle with who really won. What do we really believe is true about reality walking away from that Sunday morning? Are we better off betting our lives on the powers and pleasures of this world, trying to piece together a life based on that assumption? Or is our world ultimately answerable to the power that raised Jesus from death? Which one is it? What kingdom are you living in? What kingdom are you hoping in? What kingdom did you wake up into this morning? Today, when you had enough coffee to finally think straight, maybe when you were driving here this morning, did you imagine that you woke up to a world where you were left to figure things out on your own? Left to fix the broken pieces? A world kind of at the mercy of whatever circumstance or power struggle or luck comes your way? Or did you wake up to a world where the life of God is now committed to redeeming and renewing everything? A world in which God is making all things new. As we think about the world in which we live this morning, let me offer you the final words of Matthew's gospel. It says, then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When he saw them, 
when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Right? They're still not sure. But then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Who won? Who holds authority and power over life and death and creation itself. Last week, when we read about Jesus entering the city on Palm Sunday, and after he cleared the temple courts, the, the leaders of the city came to Jesus and they said to him, what authority do you have to do this? Who made you the king? Tell us. Justify yourself. And in that moment, Jesus refused to give them an answer. He knew the spirit of their hearts. He knew the distrust in their hearts. But to these disciples who've come back to Galilee, who've come back to where they began their journey with him, some full of hope, some still doubting and unsure, but they've come to see if this resurrection reality can be trusted. To them, Jesus now says, you want to know by what authority I've done these things. It's by all authority in heaven or on earth. All of it has been given to me by the Father. Jesus says every inch of the world we now inhabit belongs to him. It's part of his kingdom. And one day, all of it will surrender to the power and the victory of heaven that began in that moment. All of it will bow to the power that raised Jesus from death. So Jesus says, how are you going to live from this day forward? If you believe that the tomb is empty, that Jesus is Lord, and that he has been raised to new life, then go. Go into every corner of this world. Go into every relationship. Go into every new morning of your life. Confidently, sacrificially, stubbornly, tenaciously, Believing in the king and in the kingdom of Jesus. And Jesus says, if we do that, we can count on his presence being with us from here until the end of the age. On Easter morning, let me ask you, who won? Who are you betting on? Are you betting on yourself? Are you betting on a, a chaotic and disordered world? 
Or are you betting on the Lordship of Jesus? And the way that you answer that question will change the direction and the decisions of every day hereafter that you make. Pray that you would know the power of the empty tomb and the kingship of Jesus. And pray it for us. Lord, I pray that as those desiring to hope, but also most likely full of our own doubts and dilemmas, full of pain and brokenness, full of fears, Lord, where where this creation reality is not ordered in the way we'd like. We face disease, we face death, we face violence, face disappointment. Jesus, we bring ourselves to you. We pray that this day, through the power of your presence, you would begin a new creation work in us. Thank you that you are risen indeed. Amen. Hallelujah.